Hello, hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Y'all, I am fangirling hard today about today's podcast guest, and I'm not even going to try to hide it. I have been an avid follower of Arielle Astoria and her work for several years now, and I am so thrilled that I finally mustered up the courage to send her an email And today, I get to welcome her on the show and introduce her to you. Born and raised in foggy Northern California and now residing in Los Angeles, Arielle Astoria is a poet, author, and actor. Her motto, words not for the ears but for the soul, stems from her dedication to remind anyone who encounters her and her work that words are meant to be felt and experienced, not just heard. With a specific heart in empowering, encouraging, and making space for audiences of women to feel at home in their own bodies, y'all understand why I love her so much, right? Arielle has shared her work through custom spoken word pieces, workshops, and themed keynote talks with companies such as Google, So Far Sounds, Lululemon, December, TEDx, The Skims Campaign by Kim Kardashian, and more. She's consecutively emceed annual conferences, has led various writing, embodiment, and self-acceptance workshops in various settings ranging from students to professional development spaces. Her list of accomplishments and accolades goes on, but I'm ready to introduce you to this beautiful soul. So without further ado, let's dive on in. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Welcome to the show, Arielle. Hi, Kaya. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Listen, listeners, this is your cue that if there's someone on your wish list of people to connect with or invite on your show Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, just freaking send it because sometimes they say yes. And I'm so excited that you said yes and are joining me here today. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thanks for asking. My first question for you is, well, I'd love to start by first sharing a quote from your beautiful book that I just started reading this week. Mm -hmm. It's called The Unfolding, which we'll dive into a bit deeper here later. But it says in this book, you wrote, as I step into the person I am becoming, may I return infinite thanks to the person I was. So my first question for you is who was Arielle before she became the you that you are today? What's your origin mm. story of sorts? Yeah, I love to tell this story um, because I feel like I had this really full circle moment as a little girl. My aunt loves telling this story. As a little girl, I had this alter ego. I don't know where she came from. I don't know what in me (laughs) felt I needed to create her, but I called myself Erica Wallace. And Erica Wallace came out anytime I was on a stage, anytime I was performing, anytime I was drawing the attention to myself. So I've always been drama. um, And I've fully embraced that now in my early 30s. And Erica Wallace would make up songs and performances. And she had a feather boa and the plastic heels that we used to get from the dollar store and the little microphone with a little spring inside of it. And I love bringing her into the room, even though she's not an existing ancestor. I think she's still someone that I think I embodied and connected with. And I think that is who Ariel Astoria is today. Astoria Mm. is my middle name. It's my grandmother's name. And I I never got to meet her. She passed a few months before I I was born. So I go by Ariel Astoria and I have a married last name and everything, but that's always been my Erica Wallace. Um, That's always been my Sasha Fierce, if you will. It's still very much so me, but it definitely is a personhood. I have to like rest sometimes. I can't always be on or performative or engaging or just accessible to people. And so that is who Ariella Astoria is. And I'm really learning what it means to come into my fullness, my fullness of identity, uh, my fullness of who I feel like I am in terms of what I bring to the table and what I offer the world. And so 
it's been quite the journey, but I feel like I've definitely returned to this Erica Wallace that I envisioned up as a, as a little girl. Oh, I legitimately had chills hearing you share that <laughs> because just a couple weeks ago, I was coaching at one of my friend's women's retreats in the Midwest. And one of the activities that we do with them is we talk about parts work and how to tap into our most confident, full, whole parts of ourselves. And part of the activity is we ask these women to give that version of themselves a name, like their mm, Sasha Fierce, their yes. Lady Gaga name. And I, I just, I love that you did that at such a young age. Yeah. I, uh, I recently did this for myself and I feel like I was like a drama nerd that never actually joined drama in high school because I was in mm. so many other things. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm stepping into her now, but I recently named mine and her name is Christina Joy. And, yes. um, I just think it's so helpful to have like yeah. a name for that alter ego. Yeah. I think, you know, we like, we had the sausage fierces, you know, we had the Beyonce and when that first started coming out and we're like, okay. And I always like have a variation of myself. Like some people have their variation when they go out, you know, yeah. another person. I know I had that version of myself when <laughs> I went out with my friends and a whole nother, a whole another version. That's Riri. That's a whole different, um, that's a whole, that's a whole different existence that comes out. But, um, I love being able to name these versions of ourselves yeah. and they're all you, like they're mm-hmm. all a variation of you. You're not like, you know, it's not split personality disorder by any means, but it is this kind of calling in and, and acknowledging these different versions of ourselves that exist in different spaces and in different times and, um, and kind of sending love to all of them and acknowledging all of them. So it's kind of fun to be able to be like, oh, Riri's about to come out, you know, like watch out. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. It's, it's also, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. So good. So this book of yours, the subtitle of your new book, The Unfolding is An Invitation to Come Home mm. to Yourself. I'd love for you to explain what you mean by that. Yeah. I have been thinking about the subtitle so much because I feel like it was like the the very end process of things. And not that I'm regretting it, but I do think I would offer and extend a very different subtitle now that it's like Mm, out in the world and I'm sitting with it. And so when we first did it, obviously it reflected back to this full circled moment of, of my process of unfolding ultimately led me back to this grounding of who I was and who I knew myself to be. And that's the invitation I wanted to give But the more I reflect on it now, the more people are able to have it and they're reading it and holding it and we're talking about it, the more I really think it might be an invitation to expand into the more, um, Mm. into the yes and. And I think that is ultimately the heart of the unfolding is for me, I grew up in a very Christian evangelical space. And so much of that is still a part of who I am, but it was so limiting at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted more. I wanted to expand. And as I was doing so, that was met with so much tension. It was met with a lot of animosity. It was met with a lot of who do you think you are? Like you can't get outside of this box. And as women and female identifying people, we are put in a lot of boxes. And so Mm -hmm. I almost want to say, I think I would have a variation of a a bunch of different subtitles. Um, An invitation to come home to yourself is one of them, because ultimately, I think from that birthing, from that reuniting comes confidence, comes Mm -hmm. being able to take up space and know who we are and bring that to the table. But then I also would say that I think it's also an invitation to the yes and an invitation to to the more that life has to offer. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. You know, I really resonated with this title and this subtitle because I think, I can't remember who I was talking to this last year, but I was talking to how I was, I felt like I was going through this like very deep internal journey. And the way I described Mm -hmm. it to someone was I was calling it a homecoming. Mm -hmm. And I've really resonated with your book, first of all, is it's beautiful. And it's not just beautiful in the words that you share, but it is beautiful in its layout, in its design. Mm. I mean, aesthetically, Mm. it's just (laughs) gorgeous. I feel like it's just a work of art to pick up in the morning. And I really resonated with the beginning chapters of it because I felt like so much of this, I guess, healing or homecoming journey for me has been about unpacking who I am versus who I was conditioned to be for better or for worse. 
And what is mine? What is me? Or what was I told that I was or supposed to be? And Mm. man, exploring that with compassionate curiosity has just opened my eyes so much. And it feels like I'm getting to know myself as an entirely new person Mm. in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is is the other end of the awakening, you know, is Mm -hmm. that initial moment where you're like, okay, this is different. You know, like I realize like I think there's the question is, I think Dr. Tema Bryant, actually, she's another author, speaker, psychologist, just brilliant human. And her book is actually called Homecoming, which is really beautiful. But she asked the question, another author, Joe Saxton, asked the question of who were you before you were told who to be, Mm, right? Who are you before you have the narratives of who you think you have to be, of of your conditioning? Who is it that you say you are? And Mm. as as women and as as femmes, as people who, you know, identify with this feminine nature, we are constantly being told, no, you're this. No, you're mm-hmm. that. And there's no room to be outside of that. And there's room for room for you to decide what and who you are. So that other end of that awakening is like, no, I get to name myself. I get to create this identity for myself and how we walk into the world. And I think names are so I love, 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 love your name. And I think names are something, you know, those are things we are given. Mm-hmm. And then the identity we associate is also something that's given. But that is not something that's given. That's something we decide. So our Mm. name is given to us, but our identity is something we get to decide. And I just feel like there's so many of us walking through the world that don't know that or don't know that yet. You know, like we're carrying these labels that we don't even realize weren't ours that we placed on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And because our name and our namesakes and identities have been, you know, for the most part, formatted, given to us, conditioned, Mm -hmm. how, unless we realize that we can break that, that we have Mm -hmm. full autonomy and can decide for ourselves how we want to show up in the world, how we want to operate in the world, we don't know that, you know? And we also assume that that conditioning is something we chose for ourselves, that that identity is something we decided because it's just been something we were and something we did this whole time until we realize, until we start start to break that, you know, until we start to go against that. And for me, it was making the decision to marry, marry my husband. And it was like, nope, that's not your namesake. And I'm like, mm. Mm, right, because that was given to me, but I'm deciding mm. this, you know, and, and you don't know that until something contradicts it. And it's a whole whirlwind uh, that happens and that comes up. Mm, man. And you talk about that so much, that journey so much in your book. You broke down your book in a specific structure. It's in these mm-hmm. five different parts. I'd love for you to tell me why you decided to structure it that way. And I sh- and I guess I should say for those that aren't familiar with your book is that, and, and I'd love to hear the way that you describe it, but when I think about how do I put into words what this book is, it's like this beautiful blend of your story mixed with your art and poetry mixed with reflections and meditations. It's this beautiful collection. But I'd love to hear why you decided to format your work this way. Yeah. Well, I knew first and foremost, I was like, I don't want my face on the cover, which is (laughs) to say, I don't want it to be about me. Um, Even though there are elements of my story in it, and I use that as a tool to get the reader to connect ultimately with themselves. Mm -hmm. It's that I'll go first narrative. I'll go first. And and this is where the teacher in me comes out. The workshopper in me comes out where it's like, I will, here's our prompt. I'll go first. And then it's your turn, which is why I structured it that like that. And I wanted it to be something that could be engaged with. I think a lot of self-help books fall into this trap of here's what happened to me. Here's how I handled it. Copy and paste. Good luck. You know, and Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that's beneficial. I don't think that's lucrative. And I don't, I just don't think that works. And I'm very hesitant to put this book in the category of self-help because I don't want it to come across like I have all the answers. Here you go. That's not it at (laughs) all. It was more so like, here's how I wrestled. Here's what was coming up for me. Mm. Does that resonate? Does that connect with you? Which is why I put the reflection questions at the end of each chapter, because I also feel like as an artist, if people are only engaging with me and 
hearing my story, seeing me on stage, and that's it. It doesn't sit deeper. It doesn't bring Mm. out a part of your own story or your own journey. Then I truly don't think I'm doing my job as an artist. So Mm. I wanted it to be interacted. I wanted the poems to be like these, these moments of breath that allow you to simmer with the essay or the chapter and then allow you to get into the point where you can journal, you can connect. And I wanted it to be something where it was more of a conversation. It wasn't just me talking at someone I have. That's a very big trigger and sensitivity for me. I never want to be in a space where I'm just talking at people. I constantly Mm want to be talking with. So that's why it's structured the way it is. Mm. Well, I feel that. I feel that so deeply going through this work. And I just love the word invitation in your subtitle because I think that's what it is. It's like you're inviting people in to do Mm -hmm. this work with themselves. Yes. Yes. And I, I think it's an invitation. It, I like to say it's a permission slip. Mm. Um, that's what I want it to be. I don't want it to be a guide. I don't want it to be a tool. I want it to be an mm. invitation in and a permission slip to is kind of mm. what my heart has always been in most of my work and most of the things that I do, but specifically with the unfolding. Mm, so good. I got to tell you, when I first opened the book, the first page I read was your dedication and it already had my eyes swelling with tears. I want to I read it really quick. It says, yeah. for those whose petals are beginning to unfold, breathe and become love. And for my niece, Amaya, may you learn to voyage the waters you were made for sooner and more confidently than I did. I... Resonated with this so deeply because I am an aunt myself. I have four beautiful nieces and one nephew. And so much of my own healing and Mm self-love journey, my own homecoming has really been inspired by them in this desire to show, maybe show them at an earlier age what it looks like to love and accept themselves fully. Like I didn't for so long. And, you know, in my experience, it seems as though many of my I don't know, self-judgmental, self-hating thoughts were kind of ones that were passed down to me or ones I inherited, not because necessarily people told me that I was wrong, but they told themselves that their body was wrong. And I just kind of inherited those beliefs. And I feel so strongly now that I want to leave a different legacy in this world. I want to leave a different legacy for my nieces. So for you, when you think about legacy, maybe as an aunt mm. or just as a as a human in this world, because you are leaving a legacy, mm. what is that legacy that you hope to leave? Yeah, I. The first thing I always think of when I think of legacy is in Hamilton, where it said, "What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you'll never see." Oh, and I love this thought because even though my niece is like she's not my child, but she feels like an, such an extension of me. And mm-hmm. she's like the first of that generation, you know, of, uh, of mm-hmm. my siblings and I birthing, you know, little humans <laughs> into the world. And it's just, it's such a whirlwind watching her exist. Like she's just built so differently. And she just, I mean, people are always like, what is her sign? Like the way she's too, <laughs> but like the way she like takes up space and the way she just like shows up in this world is just so expansive and so unapologetic. And she's brilliant, like two years old and and her favorite things is like dinosaurs. And she can name almost every single dinosaur. Dang girl. And she's just like, you know, she'll eat food. She'll be like, wow, this is amazing. Like she's two. She'll be three in <laughs> June. And she's just, she just, I, I learn so much from her and, mm. and watching her and how she, she, so she was born in the season of me writing and experiencing also a lot of the unfolding. And mm-hmm. I think what I wanted to be able to speak over her and to, to instill is that this next generation of women come in bold and unchained mm. in ways that I haven't been, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm just now figuring out the untethering, the unconditioning, the untaming, as Glennon Doyle says, you know, mm-hmm. the unfolding in my early 30s. And mm-hmm. I want her to get to the point where she can do that, hopefully a lot sooner and save herself a lot of trouble and a lot less boxes. And so mm-hmm. when I think of legacy, I think of, again, that permission slip, like I just want what I'm creating and what I'm doing now to be the keys that hopefully 
are not even keys to boxes that people are in already. Like mm. just keys, permission that they don't even have to be in the box to unlock it in the first place. They're not, mm -hmm. the key is just the reminder of remember these boxes <laughs> like that people, that women were in before us. Remember that? Remember the boxes we are not in is ultimately mm -hmm. what I want to create and to be in. She's such a firecracker and such a spicy one. And I, I still aspire to be um, just as fiery and uh, spicy as she is at two than I am at 31. Oh, I love that. You know, I love that you brought up the fact that you learn so much from her because when I think mm -hmm. about like, when I think about little Kaya, yeah, little, little Kaya, like when we're born into this world, I believe that we're born into it with 100% confidence, right? Like we yes. cry, people feed us. We cry, people change our yep. diapers. You know, when we're at that stage, when we dress ourselves, we don't care if the prints match. We wear things that mm -hmm. look fun. We don't mm -hmm. care that we look silly. We move in ways that feel playful and fun and alive. And like we're born into this world with confidence. And then, you know, maybe it's different for different people. But for me, it was definitely around elementary school. That's mm -hmm. when I started to question myself, question my worth, really have my self-confidence take a hit. And when we look at like our nieces, my oldest niece is seven now. So probably honestly mm. around the same age as I was when I started to learn how to not accept myself, which is yeah. heartbreaking to think that she's that age now. And I hope that she doesn't have to endure what I did. But mm -hmm. like there's so much, it's almost like we can learn so much from that age of child because yeah. she doesn't need to come home to herself. She's already there. She's already there. And it and it's wild because it's at that age that we start being told, you know, know your place. It's at that age that we start and then we get older and middle school and it's like cover up, you know, mm -hmm. like modesty, all of this language. And it's like, when did we stop just giving permission for people to show up? And at what mm. age do we start telling kids to show up in a certain way? And I've been learning a lot about we're not parents and we're not anywhere near wanting <laughs> wanting to be quite yet. But we do, I do love learning this era of gentle parenting and this mm -hmm. era of, of reparenting our children in ways that we necessarily weren't parented. And it's not that our parents did a bad job. It's that they used the tools that they had. And now we mm -hmm. have more tools to use and can shift the conversation a little bit. And so this gentle parenting of like, not making your kids hug strangers that they don't want to yeah. hug, you know, yeah. like not being able to give, there's this like viral video of this little girl who has this little boundary song, you know, of like, don't, don't touch me. I don't, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. And people blew up at like, you're telling children and I'm like, Boundaries are healthy and necessary and we yes. should be giving it to them at two, three, mm -hmm. four, five years old, because that's when it really starts to be ingrained and uh, practiced. Yeah. And so I just think of this like generation of children who are being raised in just such different and beautiful ways. And I think that has a lot to do with because we're like, we're not passing this on, you know, like yeah. where uh, my daughter's going to know that her hair is beautiful, that her body is beautiful. My son is going to know that he's loved, that he can be soft, that he can be sensitive. And then my mm -hmm. daughter's going to know that she can wear whatever she wants. You know, if he wants a mm -hmm. pink toy, get a pink toy. Like just breaking down so mm. much of those strongholds that we were given and making sure that we are not passing those down. Mm, yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Same. I'm also at the place where like, I like to talk about my future children, but I'm not there quite yet. Not there. Huh? <laughs> not there I'm quite like, yet. Like, happy it. aunt. They're going to be so cute. Oh, I love thinking <laughs> of names, but yes. like the practicality of it. I'm like, no, I'm not ready. I always say not like, I'm not ready to share my husband yet. So <laughs> yeah, no, I resonate with that so deeply. Oh, you know, so much of the work that I am doing right now, and I feel like it might be work that I'll have to continue to undo for the rest of my life is mm -hmm. I like to say that I am a recovering people pleaser in recovery for sure. And mm -hmm. I also, I don't know if you use the Enneagram at all as a tool yeah. in your toolbox, but it's been a very helpful tool for me. And I'm an Enneagram three. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm really learning to unpack with that is understanding how I've tied so much of my worthiness with these appearance of success and achievement and yeah. learning how to untether that and thinking back to like, where was I taught that? Like, of course, mm -hmm. you know, my parents praised me for doing a good job and 
right. that's not that doesn't mean they're bad parents. But now I feel like at 30 years old, I'm like, okay, Kaya, you need to know that like your worthiness has no bearing on anything that you do uh-huh. or achieve it just in your yes. being. And how can we create space for people to know that at a young age? Yeah. Well, I'm not quite a recovering people pleaser. I'm more of an acknowledging people <laughs> I pleaser. Love like, I love that. I see that I do this. Yeah. I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of it, you know. And it's and it's really hard as an artist too, because you're like, oh, I don't care and I don't want but it's it's a lie when we say, mm-hmm. you know, it's not what people think. It's not because yeah. it absolutely is. And I really try to create and operate not out of that space, but it mm-hmm. always is a lingering thought. And especially as I'm an oldest child as well. So that example setting energy that comes mm-hmm. with being an oldest child, that comes with being a pastor's kid, always in the spotlight of everyone around me, you know, it was always mm-hmm. like, you're a leader, you're the example. That's a lot of freaking pressure. So whether it was blatant or not, we received these constant conditionings that when you did things that were pleasing to other people, it automatically meant that you were in good standing. You were Mm -hmm. a good girl. You were righteous. You were whatever. You were perfect. And Mm -hmm. slowly over years, that starts to begin ingrained. And I think for me, that's where it really broke, where I realized I was making these decisions and doing things. And for the most part, it was pretty much applauded until it wasn't. And Mm. could I still make that decision? Could I still trust myself? Could I still go in that direction without the applause to guide me there? And I had a mentor who said, you know, are you living a life that you actually want to live Are you living one that's just in good standing according to other people? And is that really living? Mm. And so that really became to like break something when I realized the route I was going shifted away from gold star. You're being Mm -hmm. perfect. You know, you're being Mm -hmm. the good girl. I was contradicting that. And yet I knew that's exactly where I was supposed to go. I knew that Mm. was the direction I was meant to go. And could I do it with my own applause? Could I do it knowing that I was still being divinely or universally guided and orchestrated, whatever that felt like and looked like for me, even if there wasn't a, yay, you did it. Even if there Mm -hmm. was no gold star to, to get me there. Man. And isn't that, one of the hardest things to do. You know, yes. in your book, you talk about this in the chapter called The Eclipsing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in your poetry and in your story, and I'd love to hear it in your words now, but when you're at that, I guess I'll describe it as a crossroads of choosing to do what others want you to do or choosing to do what your soul desires. Mm-hmm. Doing what your soul desires is sometimes the hardest thing to choose because it's the path that we haven't yeah. always taken. And that period can be really, really challenging. And when you were in that space and you're eclipsing, or when you feel like in your life, you're at this crossroads of doing what others expect you to do or doing the thing that you know is true for you, what encouragement might you offer someone who is maybe in that dark space right now? Yeah. I think I would say more than likely will probably regret not doing it Mm. more than in we will regret doing it. I think we will grow really resentful Mm -hmm. towards ourselves and towards people convincing us, no, stay here. No, it's fine. You don't have to go that way. You don't have to do Mm -hmm. that. I think we will grow resentful to those people in those spaces and ourselves if we don't Mm -hmm. pursue the heart tugging, the Mm -hmm. soul, you know, yearning. And I also think that those are things that we hear right? Those Mm -hmm. are things we feel. And sometimes it's really hard to explain it to other people. And that's okay. It's not their dream, their calling, their pursuit to Mm -hmm. hear or understand. So I think if we relinquish the need that this has to make sense to everyone else, when it Mm -hmm. only has to make sense to you, it only has to feel right for your next step. And hopefully others will come along and it'll work and it'll it'll be beneficial to them too. But that's not the goal and that's not the necessity, to be honest. 
It's something you hear. It's something you're guided by and being able to trust that. Mm. Gosh, self-trust is so huge. I love that you use the word relinquish. One of the words that kept coming up for me this last year as I kind of navigated and continue to navigate my own homecoming, if you will, is the word surrender. And gosh, mm-hmm. it's hard to do sometimes and just have that, yeah. that self-trust. Hey there. Have you ever thought about having your very own business or services talked about right here on the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast? Well, it is your lucky day, my friends. I am officially opening up opportunities to be a sponsor to have your very own 30 or 60 second ad right here within the show. To learn more about how you can partner with me as a podcast sponsor, or maybe even through Instagram, Facebook, or email marketing, visit coachkaya.com forward slash partner to learn more. I would love to work with you. Shifting gears a little bit, what you share on the online space, you talk a lot about self-love and self-confidence, self-acceptance. You know, maybe someone who, if someone listens to this and follows you today, they might see a version of Ariel that is wholly and fully herself and like fully embodied in who she is and fully confident. Has it always been that way for you? Or what does that journey kind of look like for you to come into this wholeness of yourself? Yeah, it's definitely a learned habit. I can bet that for most times it's like when the question is, um, how did you heal that? How did Mm -hmm. you overcome that? How did you get so confident? It's because it is birthed and grown from a season in which we were not those things. And we were not in that space. So know that it doesn't just... I do think we pop out of the womb pretty confident and aware of ourselves. And then there's a lot of shaping and conditioning that uh, Mm -hmm. deters us from that. And so a lot of the work just looks like a returning back to that, a homecoming, a coming Mm -hmm. back to like, I used to show up in this world with a feather boa for God's sake. Like (laughs) why, why am I hiding now? And, and to talk about again, the concept of a namesake, Ariel means lion. Um, It means Mm -hmm. lion of God in it. And it's actually a male dominant name, which is really interesting as well. So I realized I was not living into this lion, this fullness, this roar that I do feel like I still identified with and connected with. And And then I was seeing that in a lot of other women as well. And so I have a poem in there talking about, you know, that moment I found my voice, that moment I found who I was in this boldness in me that I shushed because I thought I couldn't have it. I thought I couldn't be it and reuniting with that part of myself that has always been there. And I think it's just the reminder of their space that we are meant to take up and my wingspan is meant to fill it. And and, and mm-hmm. that's how much I'm allowed to expand and to grow. And I think when we tell people take up space, you know, like be fully you, like we also have to remind people and you're worthy of that space Ooh, yeah. and you're enough to take up that space and getting back to that that heart message and then allowing that to be something that we can physically do, we can externally become. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Now I have to ask, and maybe this is not a fair question, <laughs> but in in your book, in this book, The Unfolding, do you have a favorite poem that you wrote or one that is speaking to you more strongly in this season? Mm, this is a great question because I feel like every <laughs> every time I have a new conversation, I feel like it's an, a different poem. But there was actually one that I read earlier this week that I really feel like keeps coming up and has really been applicable to these conversations. And it's some kind of magic. Would you be open to sharing it? Yeah, of course. Some kind of magic. There is a magic nestled in the curves of hips, sitting in the corners of a smile, dancing every time a laugh escapes from her lips, a magic that makes a home in mother and daughter and sister and wife. There is a magic that exudes from every woman I've ever known, filled with stories of falling and rising 
rising and falling, but never staying there, carrying words that are buried underneath one too many I'm sorry's. When we have started apologizing for the way our souls glisten in the sun, we have made excuses for the way our strength holds up empires, tried to make sense of our feeling and caring shoving it under sticks and stones so that it would make us seem less weak. We have bit our tongues for far too long, our silence mistaken for tolerance. But you see, we we are the revolution that happens at night, when everyone else is sleeping, when eyes are closed and breathing is heavy and rhythmic, made with dust and a whole lot of glory. My goodness, ain't I a woman and ain't I some kind of magic? Oh, full body chills. <laughs> beautiful. So beautiful. As I'm reading your book, I got to say, sometimes I'm reading it. I'm like, I, I can't read this the way that Ariel speaks these though. Like <laughs> I, well, I guess I should have, I should ask, is there an audiobook version of this? There is an audiobook version. Yes. And do you so read you it? Can. I do okay. read it. I yes, feel like this I is something. too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like what I need to do is I need to go back from the beginning and I want to listen <laughs> as I read the physical copy because sure. listen, you need the physical copy because it is gorgeous. Because it's but, gorgeous. Yes. But I need I need you reading it out loud to me because that I, is also gorgeous. I know. I've definitely been trying. I'm like, not to like pitch you, but I do think you need both. Like you need I the physical agree. because you can have it on your bedside table. You can have it on your coffee table. It's stunning. We did that on mm-hmm. purpose. I was like, I want it to be like, this could be an anthropology. And people are like, oh, 100%. That's the vibe. I fully gravitate towards book covers. Like I may not, I will read them, but I'm gravitating towards it because that. I definitely do judge a book by the cover. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Um, But then also I I feel like I, my voice is, is fairly decent. And so I do read the whole audio book. And I know I had some people who are like, I read, I read your, I listened to the audio book first and then I went and read Mm. it um, because I wanted to hear how your inclination, your phrases. Mm, And obviously mm -hmm. mostly what I do is spoken words. So a lot of times my poetry is said out loud. And so I write a little differently when I know it's going to be written. Um, I bring pauses in certain places. I break phrases and stanzas in certain ways, just so I'm kind of giving hints of how I would show it to you. But I do think I read a poem differently every time. So it really just depends. Oh, but like, I just found myself as you're reading that I found myself like, not even intentionally, I just started closing my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> Just like letting it sit with me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which is like, I tend to start shows or events that way. Or if I do read or recite a poem, um, especially my last one in a set, I usually have it be, you know, more meditative, more reflective, because mm-hmm. I just, I don't want you to see me. And I don't want it to be about me in that moment. I just want you to like, receive and see what resonates and hits. And so obviously, the audiobook, please don't close your eyes if you're driving when you read it, when you <laughs> listen to it. Um, but the audiobook is there for you if you're just like, you know, doing things around the house and you just want to listen or you do want a meditation. I do read the meditations out loud. So um, you can go back to those and use those as as spaces of reflection. I love that. I am going to, after our call today, go ahead and get the yeah. audiobook version to go with it. I think that's such a great yes. idea. Okay, girl, we have to talk about this. When I first mm. got your book in the mail, I pre-ordered it. Yes. And I opened it up and one of the first things I saw on the cover was an endorsement by Glennon Doyle herself. Yes. Herself. Wow. What yes. a just what a lineup of incredible mm. people of advanced praise that you have for your book. Yes. I mean, understandably so, obviously. Thank you. I'm so curious, what what has your experience been connecting with so many other incredible creators and leaders in this space throughout your journey. Yeah. It still floors me that the, so many of these people that I've looked up to that I've just soaked up that I've been, you know, raised as an artist, as a creative that I can consider most of them peers and friends. And it just, uh, it's still very, I still fangirl over half of my friends (laughs) um, because I I think they're incredible and I think they're amazing. And I'm always just very, very, very humbled and in awe, especially in this process of sending the book out and having people 
read it before, you know, and seeing what they were sharing and still feels like, uh, it still feels very giddy. I also feel like, okay, don't lie though. Like, are you, but are you like telling the truth? Like, don't, don't, cause I, I've endorsed, you know, some books myself. And so it is a very interesting process, but yeah, it's been such an honor. I'm very humbled mm-hmm. um, by the people I get to learn from, the people I have learned from, Glennon, Jedediah, William, Propaganda, Hillary, just the list goes on of, of humans who have just been such clouds of witness, such guidances for me in mm-hmm. this space and in this season. So it still is not lost on me how giddy I feel about just having any of these people in my corner. I'm very, very thankful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very, very well deserved. It doesn't surprise me one Thank bit that you. you get to be in the same spaces as these incredible Thank people that endorsed your book. This is a question, a personal question that came up to me as you were sharing earlier. I know we talked a little bit about people pleasing and being mm-hmm. a recovering one or just an aware one. Yep. <laughs> and yep. as as an artist specifically, how do you navigate social media and a world of metrics when it comes to creating art. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I was just talking to someone about this earlier, actually, about just like feeling like whenever I create things, that it it goes nowhere, you know, that or or that it's just it's not the right space. And I, I think the more I think about it, the more I I'm still not entirely sure if social media is really the home in which can hold art well, just Mm. because of how fast it moves just because of how clickbaity it is. And so Mm -hmm. it's quite the feat to be able to throw something into that whirlwind of a space and hope that it makes people stop. That's kind of how I operate in what I create is like, I just, I just, and I sometimes I'll straight up do videos where I'm like, can you please pause? Can you please just hold for a second? Can you, you did this 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 week and I needed it. I did. Can you just please just like be here and breathe? Like, so Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll intentionally try to incorporate things like that into my work because I know how fast and how much we consume Mm. and how much Mm -hmm. we just swipe, swipe, swipe. And TikTok is even, is even worse. Like it's just so fast and it just moves so quick. And I think TikTok has kind of helped me be a little less precious with what Mm. I put out because everything I feel like I create, everything I'm an Enneagram for. So I'm very just tender. I'm an artist. I'm soft. I'm sensitive. I'm very tender with everything I put out. And and so that has made me very cautious and also challenging myself to be less precious with the things Mm. that I put out there. But I know when I was writing the book, a lot of this I didn't post on Instagram. A lot of these mm-hmm. poems I kept to myself. I reserved them. So that kind of helped me differentiate the artist and the content creator in me because I mm. do think they're very different worlds. Um, yeah. I do think they operate differently. I'm not always out here just posting my outfits or posting things like that. Like I, I want things that people are actually sitting and engaging with and not just purchasing, which is why I've never associated myself really with being an influencer. I do not like that term. I do not (laughs) identify with that term. So I've always come back to like, I'm an artist. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that means I scale back from social media in a different way. Sometimes that means I show up full force in a different way. So it really just depends. But I do think that art is very precious. It's meant to show us the zeitgeist of in the society in which we live and exist in and how to do better as human beings. And so I constantly am trying to keep that in the back, in the forefront of my mind as I create things and as I show up and, and know that I think that what is the percentage of like only 3% of your audience sees your post. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. means you can be repetitive. That means you can keep sharing the same things in different ways and it will not fall on deaf ears, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate your insight on that. You know, I've, I feel like I have this love hate relationship with social media and I go through seasons where I feel like very creatively inspired to show up there. And then other places where times when I get really burnt out or I find myself consuming too much of it and getting caught in that comparison spiral, which definitely Mm -hmm. affects the way that I show up in, in my work and my own creativity. And I've been writing down on my journal. I write in the morning, like I start with my gratitude and then I write down the dreams I'm manifesting as if they've already happened. Mm. And I've been writing down probably for a couple years that I'm a New York Times bestselling author. 
And I keep writing that down. Have I actually officially started the book? I started (laughs) dreaming of the book, but no, not really actually started writing it. But I find myself craving something deeper, creating something Mm -hmm. richer and not Mm -hmm. continuing to feel like I'm on this hamster wheel of creating stuff that's irrelevant in 24 hours. And I feel like for me, going through that book writing journey would be, I imagine it would be so healing for me to have something that I hold close to my heart and really help uncover parts of myself that isn't shared every single day. And as an aspiring author myself, I guess one of my questions is, do you have any maybe words of wisdom that you're willing to share with me as I embark on this writing journey? Yeah. I I told someone else this recently if she was like, well, how do you know like what vulnerable things you put in your book and how do you know what you didn't? Mm-hmm. And for my first draft, I held back significantly, even so much so my editor was like, you're holding back and I can mm-hmm. read it. I can tell. And so then I had to go back in and just vomit all of it. Just put it all down on a Google Doc. Mm-hmm. Just spill as it comes. Don't control it. Don't edit it. Just put it down and then come back with fresh eyes mm-hmm. and decide what will serve the story and what doesn't serve the story. And I do think that initial writing down, that initial spilling, I like to say, that's oftentimes for our own healing. That's for mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And then people receiving it, reading it, that's when it could ripple out, if you will. But I do think that initial just outpouring and spilling is what our vulnerability is. And then also knowing what's to share now and what's to Mm -hmm. share later. Writing the book has really helped me decide what do I keep for myself and what do I allow to be a community read? Mm. Ariel, one of the questions that I ask every one of my guests on the show is this podcast is called Climbing and it's called Climbing because it's a metaphor for life and how we're all climbing these mountains, or I guess you should say mountain ranges with lots of peaks and lots of valleys. I'm curious for you right now in this season of your life, what is a mountain that you are currently climbing in your life or your career? I think the mountain I'm currently climbing is to figure out where I'm headed next. I'm still going to always be a writer. I'm still going to always be a poet. I think those are just, those are parts of who I am, but Mm -hmm. I've also been someone in love with theater and acting. And so the climbing that I'm experiencing right now is putting myself out there all Mm -hmm. over again. I feel like I was like, I just did years of that as a writer, as as a poet and networking and trying to engage and build to the point where I could have a book under a publisher that's been amazing. And now Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm starting fresh off all over again in the acting world. And I'm just like, I'm great. I know I am, but it's just like having other people see it um, and not letting my, you know, my emotions get as involved, being very patient with that process and looking back and being like, you built this, you know, career in 10 years, you know, so you're doing that all over again in a different world. So be patient with yourself, be kind, but I am not, I'm, I am drama. This is also the Enneagram for in me. I will be like, Oh, it's over. I quit. You know, I'll do that <laughs> over and over again. And my husband will be like, take your time. It's going to be great. It's going to happen in, in timing. So just trusting that timing of things and, and knowing that I will be able to transition into where I'm hoping and manifesting and dreaming and in the timing that feels right. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. My, uh, my tagline for my business is finding joy in the journey. So in mm. that climb right now, as you navigate those waters in this season, where is a place that you're currently finding joy in that journey? I think the joy it comes from the really not knowing what's next. I thought that freelancing as a poet and as a speaker and a model sometimes, I thought that was like unknown, but the the acting world is its own thing. And so I've been finding joy. I just tweeted this um, a few days ago where I keep going out for these projects, getting callbacks. We love a callback. A win is a win. There's like a TikTok sound that's like a win is a win. And that has been a win. And not only callbacking, but then there's this process of availing or holding. So it's like you are now 50% chance away from having this opportunity. And sometimes I get released and sometimes I don't. So in the last two months, I have gone out for auditions, gotten callbacks for every single one and availed, which means you hold the date until they release you. So I've been trying to find joy and progression Mm -hmm. in the fact that I'm like, 
I've gotten in the rooms and I've been selected. I've been released, but I've been selected mm. and finding joy that I'm doing something right if I keep up the, that momentum. So that's mm. when it's been exciting. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm close. And I just, my manifesting and just speaking has just been like, I want to be on someone's set somewhere at least every month. So that's what I've been trying to speak. Mm, I love that. I believe with my whole heart that that's going to happen. Like no, no problem, but thank you. I love that you are finding joy in that journey, even though it, I'm sure yeah. it can be heartbreaking. You're like, I was so close. Uh, oh, I, it's, it's rejection on, I mean, every day. Oh, <laughs> so it's rough. quite, it's quite the whiplash, but it, mm. it definitely builds, builds a muscle for sure. There, there you go. There you go. This is a random question. Do I remember correctly that you got married on the central coast? Yes, got married in Pismo Beach in, oh. on May of 2020, just peak pandemic. <laughs> yes. Okay. I remember because I remember these beautiful pictures of you on the, yeah. the coast, the coastline. Um, that's my home county. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We loved it. We, Pismo was stunning. We initially were going to get married in Temecula on mm -hmm. this like beautiful barn, had a whole 150 guests. It was going to be a whole time. Mm -hmm. And then obviously things happened, life sure. happened. And yeah. we were like, how do we still get married where our families can come? Because my family right. is in the Bay Area and my husband's family is out here in Southern California. So we needed somewhere people could come mm -hmm. and then leave in the same day if they needed to. And um, one of uh, his mom's friends actually was like, oh, have you heard of Butterfly Cove? So one of the things we did a lot in the lockdown season was just drive. We would mm -hmm. just get in the car and just go places. And so we went to Pismo and we were like, yeah, we could get married here. And we ended up finding this park that overlooks the water. And it was, it was perfect. It really was truly perfect. It's stunning. And such a beautiful, like a perfect midpoint between the Bay area and yes. Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. I live great. in, I live in San Luis Obispo. So oh, if yes. you ever come back to the central coast, you'll have oh to my let gosh. me know. Yes, please. Love that. Um, Ariel, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your heart and sharing your wisdom and sharing your spoken words. It has mm. truly been such a joy for listeners that want to connect with you, get your book, find you in all the spaces. How can they connect with you? You can find me on all things Ariel Astoria. That's A-R-I-E-L-L-E-E-S-T-O-R-I-A.com, Twitter, Spotify, um, and now Audible and um, Amazon where you can find my book, The Unfolding. And then there's some old school books out there uh, that are just poetry as well that I co-wrote with some other people. And you can find all of that on my website. So if you want a one-stop shop, just go to arielastoria.com. Find me on Instagram. I respond to DMs like text messages. And I hope to see you over there. Yay. And we will have all of that linked down below in the show notes. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that you get her book. And again, you need to get the physical copy and, and the audio book. And the audio book. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, where I follow Ariel is on Instagram. And if you are an Instagram person, I highly recommend that you add her to your feed because she is mm. such a beautiful light in this world. And I so appreciate you, you for showing up in the space you do and helping me give myself the pause that I need sometimes. So thank you again so mm. much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, sweet listeners, for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.